Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wicks Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. We are still walking through the book of Nehemiah, if you want to turn to Nehemiah. And I'll be kind of morphing together chapters 2 and 3 today. So chapter 2, we'll pick up where we left off last week, starting in verse 11. Remember Nehemiah, he's, he's, come, he's got the okay to come into town to build the walls back up. And we've already seen in verse 10 the, the ones that are going to raise some opposition against him. But verse 11 starts out, So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. And we took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. And I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Lord, this is your word today. And it's alive and active, and it is still changing hearts. Father, I just pray that every ear hears your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 12, Nehemiah had not told anyone about his plans. He's come into town, and he has not shared with anyone yet what God has been putting in his heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to say things out loud to others, you know, to help me remember. Like, I'll say to uh, someone, hey, help me remember this, this, and this. And my hope is they're like my human sticky note, right? Like when something happens, and we know I love my sticky notes. Pat came to me with uh, the prayer request on Danielle. And I said, go put it on Sue's desk with a sticky note. Like, I know I'm not going to... Re- Is anybody else that way? Do you, do you use other people as your sticky note? I use Thomas as my sticky note. And I don't even know why, because he don't remember anything. Like, I really mess up. But the thing is, because the way my brain works, so like if I write something down, I remember it. I've seen it. 
right? Teachers, you know what I'm talking about when you're learning all those kids' names. If I write those names down or see it in writing, you remember it more. Um, And so if I verbally am telling you, hey, Diane, remind me on Wednesday night that we're going to do this, it just sort of helps it stick in my head a little bit more. Uh, Even my calling into preaching, I remember sometimes we speak things out loud to others for accountability, right? So I had kind of struggled with my calling to to be a preacher, and I was trying to, like, tell God he was crazy, right? Like, that's, we we don't have to go that route. Um, And when it got to that point where he said, now or never, I was teaching, I remember standing right here teaching an NMI lesson on a Sunday night, and I spoke it out loud to the group that I had because I wanted them to hold me accountable that I had said yes to God. You know, so, so there are times in our lives that we do speak things out and we share. But we live in this time where we share everything now, right? <laughs> like, I, I know you probably got tired of our vacation posts this week. But honestly, those are more for me than they are for you because I want them to pop up on my memory in a year's time, right? So we can remember things that we had been through. Um, But it was a great vacation, things to remember, and some things that God just really did. Even the shark stuff was a God thing. Because I had prayed when we got there, we got there Monday, so Tuesday morning, we were sitting on our patio doing our devotion stuff. And as I was just praying and journaling some things, I ended with, God, do you even hear been there church have you ever been there god are you even listening (laughs) how many rocks have i dropped in god are you listening and later when we walked to the beach i had a recollection and and help me amy i want to say it was mimi page at district that gave the testimony about seeing the bears Was it Mimi Page, maybe, that gave that testimony? Where she had prayed, they were hiking, and and she was praying about something. And so she said, God, she said, "If, if if this is something we're doing, show me a bear today on our hike. And I was like, dear Jesus, you don't ask for bears. No, at least not where I come from. But I I had said, and I spoke it to Thomas, I said, just so you know, I've asked God to show me a shark. Because out of all the years that we've been going to the beach, I've never seen a shark. We've seen dolphins. We've seen everything, right? And I said, you know, just just so you know, if we see one, it's my shark. (laughs) And we went through the week. Nothing. Nothing. We got there Thursday. So the, the last full day we were there, we took a walk down the beach that morning. And as we were coming back, there was my shark just popped up and I'm I'm crying I just started crying because I said that's my shark (laughs) that's my shark and um, Friday morning because Mimi's story she didn't see one she saw three bears so Friday morning I was like so is it selfish God to think can I have two (laughs) we took our walk down the beach sure enough we turned to come back There was my shark. He was swimming down. We come back. We sat in our chairs, and and I had that Mimi thought. I was like, 
Well, not three. Now, the poor people that had to endure this one, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> when I was sitting there thinking that, of like, man, we're fixing to go home, God. And I know you've already showed it. I'm just being selfish, I think. And this poor couple showed up. They go down, they're swimming, and we're already, you know, you don't do morning swims. That's feeding time. Like, the dolphins were crazy Friday morning. And I happened to think, I saw the fish stirring and the birds looking, and I thought, that's not good. This poor couple sitting in front of us in the water, six feet behind and to the right, a fin popped up. And Thomas calls it my crazy calm voice now because that's a shark by a person now. That's a whole different thing. You know, I like seeing the shark out there. But here was BJ's response. I just said, um, sir, there's a shark behind you. (laughs) Just in that tone. (laughs) I told Thomas later, I said, I was trying to decide how to say it because I didn't want to freak them out. I'm freaking out inside. There's a shark behind you. And, but I thought, if they splash, it'll draw attention to them, is what I was thinking. And so I wasn't sure they heard me, and I'm just like pointing. And finally, they said, did you say shark? I said, mm-hmm, one just popped up behind you. And they was like, you don't have to tell us twice. Out of, out of that ocean they came, and the beach cleared out as the shark went down, but... That was my shark. God spoke. And, and I can't tell you everything that I've been praying about, but it was just his way of saying, daughter, I hear you. I hear you, right? And so Nehemiah knew God had spoken to him. But it wasn't the time yet to share. Because sometimes we do overshare. Sometimes um, in spiritual moments, we have to distinguish, is that my message or is that something to share? I even debated whether to share my shark with you this morning, but I wanted you to know, God hears us. God hears us. Now, let's be honest. I've put God to some tests before and I didn't get that answer, right? But God knew my heart this week of, She needs this. She needs this. And it's a reminder not just for me. I want you to know that every rock you drop in this jar, God hears your prayers. Every time we're at these altars, God hears our prayers. And he's working. But what if like Nehemiah, we should sometimes maybe hold things in, right? So I like that Nehemiah wasn't real eager yet to share what God had put in his heart. Unlike the previous returns, Nehemiah doesn't make this huge public statement as soon as he hits town. He arrives in Jerusalem. He takes a a three-day rest, because remember, it's about a four-month journey. So takes a three-day rest, and then he just goes out quietly at night to take a look around. Now, Jason, did you get those photos of the wall? I forgot to ask about that. You've been so good to think ahead of me these days. So there is one rendering that shows what it could have looked like in that day and time. So all these gates that go around. And so at the very tip top is the sheep gate where things will start as they begin to rebuild. Show the other one, Jason. It gives just an easier look. Whoop, never mind. It didn't. It did not download correctly. But he arrives and he takes this rest period. 
And then just him and a few other people go out to inspect the wall. So remember, the reason he is here is because somebody had came to Babylon and reported to him how bad everything was, right? It's one thing to hear something from somebody else, but sometimes we need to go out and we need to see and we need to inspect and we need to know it for sure ourselves. And you know what? That's even, even here at church. It's great for you to come on Sunday morning and hear from me, but I want you to go home and I want you to inspect the word and I want you to see what God is really saying. Test the word. Man, is she really telling the truth? Is that really what it says? So he goes out, he sees firsthand what it's going to require to fix this wall, how bad things really are. And then verse 16 is finally when he says, the city officials didn't know, right? Here again, they didn't know what I'd come to do. I hadn't told anybody. He hadn't told the priest. He hadn't told anybody. Now we know from our stuff last week, so verse 10, we know that the enemies are already forming against him. That may have been why he held it so close until he had the plan in place, right? Because he knew there was going to be opposition. And the funny thing is, opposition from both sides. Because there's going to be some who think that he's working against King Artaxerxes, right? In fact, that's what Sanballat and them say. Hey, are you doing this against the king? So he knew. But there's even going to be some on the Jewish side that are going to think that he's working for the king. Because remember, he's the cupbearer. He has a high position. He came into town with the king's men with him. So now they're thinking probably, is he here to spy on us? Did the king send him to watch what we're doing? Right? So that may be why he was holding this in until the right time. And we know in verse 20, we saw that that opposition is starting to just, man, it's just rumbling under there. But Nehemiah knew that the time of sharing what God had put in his heart would be an important moment to the success of what he was about to do on this mission. So after carefully assessing, he went out at night, he looked at everything that he could, and, you know, it said there was places he couldn't get in because the rubble was just so scattered about. But he came back and finally made it public why he was there. And that was verse 17 and 18. And his, his rallying motivation in verse 17, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. You see, he was motivating the people. He was reminding them that these ruins of Jerusalem and the gates were down. This is trouble. Now, when you look at the original word for that word trouble, it actually meant an evil. This is an evil thing. Like we have let things fall apart. And even more, the ruins are a disgrace, he said. And that word disgrace means something that will be mocked and scorned. He's like, people are looking at us as God's people and seeing the state of this city. And he said, this is horrible. This is a, a bad reflection of who our God is. That was the motivating cry that he was putting out to the people. Now, this culture that he was living in, they put a lot of value in honor right? That, that you wanted your God to be honored and therefore you would be honored. So, so these words would have stirred their hearts in that way. 
And then he was sure, though, to tell them, this is God's plan. This is for God's glory. And then he goes on to say, and the king is behind this, by the way, because God has already moved his heart as well. And the people said, yeah, let's do this. Now, in chapter 3, and we're not going to read through the whole thing, it begins to give us a detailed look of who and how they built the wall back up. It's all about the different people that did this. Verse 1 tells us the beginning of the process. Then Elishib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. So... On our picture, that was at the very tip top, that that was the beginning of the rebuilding, the sheep gate. And this would have been important. The priests are especially interested in rebuilding this gate because the sheep gate is where they would have brought in the sacrificial animals needed inside the temple. Okay, so that was an important part. And remember, Nehemiah has made clear throughout all of this so far that it's not just about political reasons and economy. Yes, to rebuild that wall would have some uh, positive things in that area, but this was about spiritual matters. This was about the people that were serving God. Now, I also, as I began to read through chapter 3, so when you get these lists, and sometimes we've talked about this, it's easy for us to skip over, but I, I picked out a couple of these that I thought just stood out. Verse 5 says, Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. I love that. So you've got this group of people that, the people that are in charge of their community is like, yeah, I don't know if we want to work with those people. And they're like, fine, we're going to go do it on our own. And they come over and they help. Because you've got to understand, this was a community of people outside of Jerusalem. It wasn't even somebody inside of Jerusalem. I love that. And in fact, verse 27, uh, they, they even were so excited, they helped build another section of the wall. So they, they went over and beyond. Because what you're getting, there are, there are basically three groups of people that you will find building on the wall. So you've got some... They're building because their house, when it says whatever gate, those gates are usually built inside the house. That's part of their house. You have to remember that wall is so thick that houses are built into the wall. And so the gate is actually part of their home, that they would be responsible for the opening, shutting, and all of that. And so they're actually rebuilding some of their own house when they're replacing those gates. And then you've got some people that are within Jerusalem. They don't live on the wall, but they saw a section and they said, we'll take care of that. We'll do that part of the wall. And then like the Tekoa people, you've got some outside of Jerusalem that they knew the importance that it would also benefit them that they came inside and said, hey, we're going to help you rebuild this wall as well. So those are the three main groups that you will find in chapter 3. And so I, I love that the Tekoa people was like, look, I don't know, Mayor, what you're thinking, but I'm thinking this is a good idea and we're going to go do it. We're going to help these people. And then verse 12, you had a, another one that stood out to me. It says, Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters, did you hear that? Daughters repaired the next section of the wall where they were at. You see, that's uncommon because we don't talk about daughters in this day and age, right? So obviously this man, he may not have had sons, but this was such an important thing that the daughter stepped up just as a son would 
to get in there and get busy with them. That's important stuff. I feel like when it gets put in here, that means it was important for us to look at. And then verse 32, when you read through chapter 3, so we started up at what? The sheep gate with the priest starting everything. And then finally, verse 32, we make it full circle around the last section that ends with the sheep gate. Now, as I was reading through this, sometimes when we're walking through Old Testament stuff, it does feel a little dry, right? It feels like, eh, BJ's just teaching us history. I always look at Diane's face to know, am I, am I being dry yet, right? Like, is this history? Would Diane like this? And, and, and see, I love history. But listen, this is important stuff. Because when we're talking about the sheep gate, do, do, do you ever recall a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda? Do you know where that pool is? It's up by the sheep gate. It's up by the sheep gate. And, and I want you to remember as we're walking through this, this is the temple, the city, the wall, the places. Now, yes, through the years there will be things added as I was looking at some of the maps um, yesterday. There's things that get added, pieces of the wall with different rulers that get added over the years. But this is the basic temple, city, and wall that Jesus Christ is going to walk into. That when you're reading New Testament, you can go back into Nehemiah and go, Oh, yeah, they talked about that area. So that's important. And then my main things that I always say that we've got to ask, what did I learn about God reading through this? Because, BJ, this is just sort of history. This just tells us, no, it tells me that God has a plan. He has a plan. And we don't always understand that plan, by the way. And Nehemiah knew it. He, he knew that God had given him this plan to go and rebuild the city because Jerusalem was going to be important. Why is Jerusalem important? We said this last week. Because the Messiah would come into Jerusalem. They were looking for the Messiah to come. Church, we're still looking. I'm going to remind you, every week we're here, we're still looking for that second return, right? So I know God has a plan. The other thing, what did I learn about Jesus in here? Well, I don't know about you. If, you, if you read enough, and I know sometimes if you're a new Christian, it takes a while before you start clicking on things of like, oh yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of something. Well, this kind of reminded me of something as I began to read through here, and I saw this incredible, you know, start at the sheep gate, end at the sheep gate. John chapter 10 says this, and these are Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come into him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration, they didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I'll tell you the truth. I'm the gate for the sheep. You see, in Old Testament, we're building a physical gate, but Jesus became the gate for the sheep. 
All who come came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. You see, you've got to remember as we're reading through Old Testament, everything points to Jesus Christ. He is the gate. He is the gate. You know, we had a great vacation. Great stories. But something happened on our way home that I don't think will ever leave us. As we were driving back Friday, traffic began to slow down and we realized there had been a wreck. And we obviously got there moments after this wreck. And as we went by, because people had already stopped to help, it was a motorcycle wreck, and the man was laying there with somebody doing chest compressions on him. And it didn't look good. Not sure he made it. And that image is going to stick. We just both started crying and just praying, (laughs) praying for the man. Because we were in an area of Mississippi. There was no towns. (laughs) It's a a stretch of uh, Highway 49 there that there's nothing. And we knew first responders, like we drove a long ways before we saw the first responder coming from a side road. And we just cried. Because it didn't look like he was going to be. And that's very humbling when you see that. And we prayed for the ones who were involved, for whoever, you know, it, it, it was hard for us to tell what had taken place. But all I could think about was that man. You know, maybe, maybe he was a good man. Maybe he was somebody's father and he was a good father. He's somebody's son. Maybe he was the best son ever. Maybe he was the best friend somebody ever had. But here's what I thought. At that moment, none of that mattered. None of it. My only thought was, did he know Jesus Christ? Did he know Jesus as his Savior? Because that's all that mattered. And folks, that is just all that has churned on me in these last few days. That I can teach you about the Old Testament. I can teach you things. I can can try to lead you to things. And it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your political party is. Oh, please, we're coming up on another stinking election year. Don't get wrapped up in it because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Pray about it, vote about it, forget about it. Doesn't matter how many community hours you put in. It doesn't matter even how great your Sunday morning attendance is. The only question is going to be, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? 
Do you believe that? Not know it. You see, we, we can know. We know about Jesus. We know who he is. Do you believe he died for your sin? I want you to ask yourself that right now. Like, it has laid so heavy on my heart because you know what? It was a beautiful day, and this man was on his motorcycle, and he was probably having a really good day going somewhere. And every one of us sitting in this room, when, when the time comes, if it's us laying on that asphalt, things of this world will not matter. I know we get busy trying to build up things and, and we want to leave our kids' uh, heritage and our homes and our doesn't matter. In that moment, nothing about that man mattered except, do you know Jesus Christ? Because see, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Why? Because he's the gate. He's the gate. And I want to make sure that you know that you know this morning you've entered that gate. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm probably like a lot of you. I can't tell you the month, year. I don't have a, a date I could tattoo on my arm for the day that I said yes to Jesus. I just remember that moment. I remember sitting in my bedroom. I remember understanding that there was this eternal thing that... I had no control over except to say yes through Jesus. I remember that moment. What is your moment? If I ask you right now, what is your moment? Could you tell it to me? Don't tell me I've always known Jesus. That's not your moment. You ain't, you ain't going to get to heaven and, and, and they look it up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's always been in the Nazarene church, so we, he's good to go. Nope, not a requirement. Do you know that Jesus is your Savior? Do you believe it? What's my saying, son? Knowing and doing are two different things. Have you believed on Jesus and said, God, I've screwed up my life. <laughs> and maybe you've even had a good life. You still need Jesus. You still need Jesus. You need to say, God, I bend a knee to you. And I believe that you are the Savior. You are God's Son. And that blood that we sang about, like, oh, it's for me too. Yes. Yes, Lord. And if you can't tell me that moment, then make today your moment. Don't leave this building without knowing Jesus is your Savior. Stand with me this morning. These altars are open. I know we come to our jar and, and, and that's good, but these altars are open if you need it. If today is your day to say, yes, Lord, I get it. Jesus is the gate, and that's the only way I can get through it. Then today's the day to come bow a knee, let this church family come around you and be with you. And that's all, it, that's all it's about right now is just saying yes. Lord, I know I need you in my life. And I need to follow you. 
Because you see, some people, we're going to know Jesus and it's going to change our life. Jesus should change your life. We began to love different. We began to just see people different. We began to pass accidents and we have thoughts of eternity. And then there are going to be people that, man, they go through life and they mess it up and somehow they get a last-minute reprieve, right? (laughs) But they still are there because the thief on the cross got it. But don't gamble that. Don't gamble that. Know that you know that you know Jesus today. And if you need to come forward, church family will come and pray with you. Don't let it be that you're just too embarrassed. Because every person in this room that has ever said yes to Jesus had to take that first step. Today is your first step. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for humbling me this week. And God, I pray for every heart in this room today. That if there is even one here, because you said, God, we'll leave the 99 to find the one. So if there is one that just needs to say yes, let them make that move. Let us know that we know that we know that this is our moment. Father, and I just pray for some in here that I know that they are struggling. They are struggling wanting to follow you and they're they're working. But God, maybe sometimes it's time to just release control. (laughs) Part of following you is releasing control so that we become more like you and a whole lot less like myself. So Lord, change us. Let your spirit speak right now to every person here or online. Let us leave here knowing that we've walked through that gate. So that when our day comes, there's no questions left for our loved ones. They know where we are. And they'll know how to get to us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you've reminded so many of us this week that you hear us, you've reminded us that you walk with us. And even if we have to keep walking through the fire, we can do it as long as you're with us. And God, somebody in here is praying for that miracle. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit right now will just reach down and touch them. Bring healing in this room. God, I believe in complete healing that can happen right now at this moment. Let healing happen in this room. And God, may we remember to say we love you, we thank you, we believe you, and we want to share that with others. Father, I want to pray for the after service now as we gather together to fellowship around the food and around the dinner. Thank you, Lord, for every uh, piece of this meal that has been put together by so many hands. And God, may it just be a time of getting to know each other, of just spending time together and fellowshipping. But God, we still give you the glory for that because it's you that brought us here. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said together, Amen. Church family, I have prayed for the food. So as soon as they give you the thumbs up, let's enjoy some hamburgers together. Go be a blessing because you've been blessed today. Have a great Sunday. 
Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved. Thank you.